Hello and welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. We are recording this on Sunday night. You are hopefully listening to it on Monday morning, moments after it posts, because we all know that you wait for it. But we thought we reacted to tonight's game and set the games up for uh, tomorrow night slash tonight. If you listen to this on Monday, um, it would be better for you. So that's what we decided to do. I am in Houston and somewhere in the same building as me is Nick Friedel. Um, Nick and I are staying at the same hotel. We are covering the Rockets Warriors series. Nick, um, do, we won't say the hotel. Uh, what I can't remember what floor. What floor are you on? I don't want to say that either, B. Uh, okay, all right. Um, I am on the top floor on in a beautiful corner suite because of course. Um, this is how I roll. Um, I'm always on the top floor in, in the corner room. You should know that by now. Um, and uh, a fellow Chicago boy, um, yes. even though you don't live in Chicago anymore, Nick, and you're not even from Chicago, but you are definitely a Chicago boy. Um, a fellow Chicago boy and. Chris, is this the first time you've uh, joined us, or is my memory flawed? Chris Herring from Chicago. It is. It is the first time I've joined you. I appreciate the invite this time. Well, welcome. Um, so, and of course, Andrew Hahn in Los Angeles. None of it would be possible without Andrew Hahn. Um, uh, so today, guys, we had a couple of desperate teams, and they played desperately, and just both games were... They weren't, I guess, exactly the same, but similar in that it was just an absolute grind to the end and scrapping, clawing, ripping to hold on to the series. Because, um, uh, I, I, you know, even though you know both of both of them were higher seeds, I think if Denver and Toronto, either one of them lose today, it's curtains. And instead, they both just hang on. Um, Kawhi with a masterpiece performance; he's been masterful the whole postseason, uh, and then. Well, this is one. This is what surprised me, and I want to start with this game. Uh, Jamal Murray, um, probably the game of his career, I would think, Chris. I mean, all things considered. I mean, I know he's had higher scoring games, but uh, on the road, uh, he's been inconsistent in this postseason, but he's been dogged by um, a thigh injury um, to deliver 34-point performance on 20 shots. And not only that, but also... Uh, to hit clutch free throws down the stretch to hold the game. And the Denver Nuggets, who were the worst road team of all the tie-in playoff teams this year, win game four in San Antonio in what basically made that series, win game four tonight um, in Portland. Chris, I was super-duper impressed with Jamal Murray. No, I was too. And, I mean, I I think with him – He's such a he can be such a bellwether for this team because we you know when we talk about the the youth on this team he's kind of the person I think about particularly because he's a table setter he's their point guard and so he's going to be involved in so much so many of their plays um, and if he starts a game rough like we've seen a, a couple times in the last few weeks where he you know he's capable of having an zero for nine zero for ten half and we've seen him do this in the postseason and to watch him start the game and you know if, if you saw the entire game. He literally hit a circus shot from behind the backboard. Um, I want to say nothing but net. Uh, that just kind of made everybody say, wow. And, you know, you can maybe attribute that to luck a little bit. But then you see him just get it rolling. And so often we're used to seeing 
maybe one good half and then there's a regression or one good game and then there's a regression. And so that's the, that's the biggest question is if he can find some sort of consistency the rest of the series, um, you, you feel much better about the Nuggets chances because uh, so often it feels like maybe they have a guy or two guys that get it rolling, but then there's someone that just kind of puts up a big crater for the night and too often it's been Murray. And so, like you said, it was just huge for them to get that kind of performance from him and for him to be the guy to really shut the game down and to put it, you know, to close it out from the line. He wanted that, you know, he's never really been afraid of that moment as we've seen. And so to see him close it out was just huge for them. They needed this game. Nick and I just got back from an event. Was there a, um, have they said yet whether, whether Jokic was just a cramp uh, or was that a more significant injury near the end of the game? I don't. Uh, th- I, I haven't seen anything just yet. Um, yeah, it looked I, like I a cramp, know. right? Yeah, it didn't look like anything too too serious because he was back out there. But it did for a second. You're like, oh, what what is this? Because obviously they need him regardless of you know if it's just a minor thing or even if it's something that really hobbles him that he just plays through. Uh, but I, it didn't look too serious after that first moment. Nick, did you see the pass that Jokic threw? Um. Right at the end of the shot clock, um, late fourth quarter, right at the end of the shot clock, um, he's in trouble. He's covered. He goes up like he's going to shoot and then makes a no-look pass. Was it to Will Barton, I think? Down the lane. My mouth dropped when he threw that pass. It was like – it was an impossible angle. Um, It was – there was no space. And he threw it like exactly in the spot that it had to be thrown in and did it on like no look at the end of the shot clock. And there was so little space that he got fouled for a three-point play. And it was like a vital play. Uh, I, I don't know if I've ever seen a pass like that. Uh, and he was I, going I, up for a jumper too. I mean, that was the thing is that he kind of disguised it as a jump shot. So guys were going to go rebound it. And, you know, it was it, so the defense was confused, but Harris was alert enough to catch it. And, you know, it's, it, I, I've watched it for I normally have like a five minute window where I'll watch the inside the NBA guys um, break down the game where, you know, I still want to see something basketball related after the game is over. And, you know, Barkley is just raving about it and saying he's never seen a, a big man pass the ball like that because he's saying no matter where he's throwing the ball or how tight a space it is it's always a catchable pass for his teammates. Like, they know to expect it, but nobody else is looking for it on defense. And that was kind of a a prime example of what you were just talking about. I'm trying not to lose perspective or be too reactionary in the moment. I think it's one of the most incredible passes I've ever seen. Um, Because of the degree of difficulty, plus the stakes, plus the execution, uh, I, I was just absolutely blown away. So much so I forgot even who he passed it to. Um, who he made a great play too to catch that, as you mentioned. Um, you know, Nick, I, I've I've been I, I, I didn't want to discredit Denver, but you know, on this podcast, I've I've sort of have, I guess, and they keep rising to the occasion. Um, I mean, you know, you know, they fought with the Warriors all year long, but I just never gave them credit, and yet here they are. They're they keep getting it done i have to be honest here b i never never thought that denver could go into portland in that kind of environment and win a game when portland won game two i thought that whole series was a wrap but i'm conflicted on that point just because 
I remember well, a couple... also winning the four overtime game three. That's when I thought the series was around. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And for and for Jokic, we're talking about Jokic being able to make this pass and play the way he did. I think Jokic was so pissed because so many people were like, oh, this guy, he's out of shape. There's no way he's going to bounce back in game four and be able to play at a high level after all those minutes in game and four. And he, he had a triple-double. Um, and, and so he shut a lot of people up with that performance. But the the reason I'm conflicted is because I remember a couple weeks ago, Denver's in that series with San Antonio, and San Antonio's pushing them, and there were a lot of people <laughs> that looked at that series and went, ah, San Antonio's going to win. Derek White is out playing Murray. Murray is not ready for prime time. And I, I believed in that moment, and now I believe it even stronger after watching his performance on Sunday, Murray has so much talent, and he's just still trying to put it all together. But to play the way he did in that kind of spot when really their season was on the line, it just shows how good he is now when he wants to be and how bright the future is on the whole for that young Denver team that is trying to find its way in the West. Yeah, and the thing I thought was going to be important in this game was that was that the was the benches because I felt like you know just with the with the minute loads of the front end guys that I just I just didn't know coming off of that four overtime game and the Nuggets bench got steamrolled in yeah. this game steamrolled uh, again which is it's not that much of a surprise I guess because you know role players tend to not deliver on the road and. Will Barton, even though he's somewhat at home in Portland because he used to play there, you know, Will Barton had, you know, a great game in game three. Um, their bench gets steamrolled. They're on the road. Um, you know, Lillard and McCollum were, they were not great, but they were pretty good. It wasn't like um, they, uh, you know, it wasn't a great A Lillard game, but Lillard played well enough to get the win. And, you know, and Canner was able to play and able to, you know, contribute to a certain extent. And their bench was just way better. I mean, Seth Curry had a brilliant first half, um, scored 16 points in the, I think it was 16 points in the first half. You see something like that and you think, well, that's exactly what they need. You know, they needed something to, to, um, to, 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 to help them. You know, Hood has another relatively productive game. Um, and you think, well, that's it. And the Nuggets still overcome that. And this was a team that was under 500 on the road this year, and they've gone into San Antonio and into Portland in must-win games and won. I am um, hats off to them. I don't know what's going to happen the rest of this series. Um, uh, I, I still feel like that the minutes that um, that Jokic is 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 racking up have got to be. It's like the Bills going to come due at some point, Chris. But I don't know, man. I mean the. The the way they're the way they're doing this and the way they're executing they you know they win game seven they win a couple of must win road games I, I mean I Paul Millsap is is just making so many big plays for them it's 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 I'm actually you know now kind of like man I'm I'm enjoying it because they're overachieving in my eyes that's kind of where I'm at at this point is is I you know someone just tweeted at me like within the last hour saying something similar about Jokic where. Um, you know, I, I have a lot of Nick fan followers, and so they're like, um, you know, he, he looks kind of out of shape, 
Um, and he reminds me of the way that Porzingis was playing right before he got hurt as far as how he looked running up and down the court. And I was like, I don't know what to make of that, but those guys could not be more different. And as far as Jokic can kind of just be the way he is and, and, and slog through it, slog through it. Basically, he's not having to jump over anyone. He literally had a play tonight and he's done this before. Zach has written about it where he just grabs rebounds with one hand and goes right back up in one motion. Um, you know, he doesn't have to really He's not basing his game on athleticism, but like you said, minutes rack up. Uh, you you don't want someone playing sixty minutes in games the way that he had to do before. Um, but I, I just you know we, we it's so easy to feel like he he's not going to be able to do it because of how it looks. But you know they they did get a big win tonight. I think what it shows is that he's he's not going to be able to do it on his own. And I think part of that is that sometimes he's reluctant to really be the guy to take over. Sometimes he can kind of fade so much into the background. And so it means a guy like a Millsap and particularly a Jamal Murray is going to have to kind of bring it. I think we know Jokic will be there and perform well, at least for the first three quarters before he's winded. But uh, it's just going to be on somebody else, whether it's their bench, which they got very little from tonight, or two other starters to really kind of carry the load along with them. Well, just to point, you know, he averaged 31 minutes a game in the regular season. Mm-hmm. So we're not talking about a guy who... I mean, 31 minutes is fine, but I mean, we're not talking about a guy who, um, you know, has really ever played like this, at least at this level. And um, he played 39 minutes tonight, 65 minutes, of course, in the last. My game. God. <laughs> 30, 37 minutes the game before that, um, 42 minutes in the in the opener, 44 minutes in Game Seven. Okay, so in the last week, Game Seven was last. Uh, Sunday, right? So the last seven, last eight days was the twenty seventh. Uh, no game. Their game seven was Saturday. So in the last eight days, forty four, forty two, thirty seven, sixty five, thirty nine. Did Tibbs um, come over and take over for uh, <laughs> Michael Malone for a couple weeks? Listen, he's. I mean, you know, they're they're just in an all out fight. But I mean, the, the bill, <laughs> the bill has to come due at some point. But I mean, uh. uh you know, I, I, it was funny. He he did um, mention Nick. I don't know if you saw it, but he was he mentioned the fact that he didn't. You know, he's like, "Who said I wasn't in shape? I'm in shape." Of course, um, yeah. He yeah. Th- these guys all hear this stuff. Be that's what I think gets lost sometimes. Whenever you hear a player, a an executive, a coach say, "Oh, I don't pay attention." No way. No, that that's just not the case. And it hasn't been the case as I think we've all covered the league for a long period of time now. These guys all hear the perceptions of them out there. And you can't tell me that after game three, after all those minutes, all those people out there saying, Jokic isn't going to make it. He's already out of shape. He certainly ain't going to make it after playing 60 plus minutes. That that didn't have a, a serious motivating factor for him going into the performance that he just put on. Um, hey, Andrew Hahn, what's the most money you've ever spent on a haircut? Um, I would say $110. What? What? Wait, 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 wait. I've seen your hair with John Edwards, man. Wow. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Somebody owes you a refund, Mr. All Hahn. right. Well, this whole conversation has been blown because I was going <laughs> to – um, Chris, Chris, you keep your hair pretty tight. What do you, what do you spend on a haircut? This is not an advertisement, by the way. Chris, what do you spend on a haircut? 
I mean, at this point, because like you said, beard trims are all I really need to take care of at this point. So it's, you know, 20, 20, $25 with a tip. You're, I, Andrew's in like John Edwards $400 haircut range at oh this my point. <laughs> well, I was going to tease Nick for his l- glamorous, luxurious haircut that he got today. Um, was it so, anywhere near 110 No. no, not even no, close. no. Uh, I hope not. Holy Jesus. Okay. Andrew. Okay, okay, okay. I need to defend myself for a moment here. You do. <laughs> uh, not everyone knows this. I'm an Asian person. And Asian people sometimes have particular hair. So if you're going to try something new, then uh, my operating theory is that you should go to someone that understands how your hair texture and stylings operate. So I went to this Japanese place that's like not the cheapest place in the world, but they're Asian people. I was going to say, but even with that being the case, that still seems like, uh, I mean, uh, well, you, you do know. the conversion to yen and then you have to take the flight over to Tokyo yeah. and all that stuff. Right, so I see. I see. Uh, now that's starting to make more sense. <laughs> Apparently it's pretty challenging for you to find a place to get your hair cut in Los Angeles, Andrew Han. Uh, there's only probably about 500 places. Uh, yet you seem to have to pay a massive premium to find any of them. I'm, we're going to talk more about this, uh, later on off the air. But, uh, Andrew, do you know what's actually not challenging? I'm assuming you're going to tell me, and I don't appreciate this haircut shaming that you're giving. <laughs> uh, I apologize, but it has to be said. It needs an intervention. Um, hiring with ZipRecruiter.com. That's the place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart. A place where growing businesses connect qualified candidates. Because hiring used to be hard. Those multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, the confusing review process. But now it's easy and you can go to one place to get it done and you can try it for free. Go to, to ZipRecruiter.com slash collective. That's collective C-O-L-L-E-C-T-I-V-E. They send your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't just stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply for your job. As those applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And again, right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash collective. ZipRecruiter.com slash collective because ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. Boy, there was a time where I thought the Raptors were cooked in this game, man. And, you know, they have so much riding on it. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, the difference between winning and losing playoff games is often, you know, pretty pretty narrow. Uh, you know, for example, that game three with the Trailblazers Nuggets. I mean, how could anybody look at themselves in the mirror and say that, they, that anybody should have lost that game? And it's not like the whole season was, you know, everything came down to this game. But, you know, if the Raptors go down 3-1, there's more than that's at stake than just this series, you know, with Kawhi and all that stuff. And so, man, I thought the Raptors were in trouble here. And they just, they kept their head above water and were just able to pull it out. And, I mean, look, Kawhi Leonard has been everything they could have ever dreamed of um in you know in this postseason and and their whole scheme along the whole the whole regular season of protecting him uh of 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 making sure his leg was okay i mean at this moment 
it is just remarkable how well he's playing. So today, 39 points, um, in which is like almost like a quasi elimination game, 14 rebounds, five assists, um, hit a gigantic three pointer from the right wing. He went five of seven on threes in the game, but it just a three pointer at the end of the game, you know, up by one in a vital moment, just made it like it was nothing. Um, Unbelievable. <laughs> uh, our boy, Tim Bontemps was sweat. I mean, he, well, I, I don't want to reveal private text messages, <laughs> but let's just say he, you know, this Chris, I don't know if you know this, but <laughs> last week, Bontemps, or is it this week even, I get, well, I guess it was last Monday. Bontemps declared that the, he, the Raptors, his favorite to win the title. And the Raptors immediately lost two games. Pascal Siakam <laughs> got, got hurt tripping Joel Embiid. And they were in de- I think Bontemps' lowest moment was when the Sixers got into the bonus with eight minutes to go in the fourth quarter. And he just could not believe that the Raptors were going to go. He thought we're going to go down 3-1. Kawhi Leonard, I'm going to, I'm going to read you Kawhi Leonard's um, last, let's just go last five, last six games, okay? 34 points, six rebounds, two assists in game four against Orlando. Closeout game. He only had to play 31 minutes that game. 27 points, seven rebounds, two assists. First game against Philly, 45 with 11 rebounds. Game two, which they lost, 35, seven rebounds, six assists. Game three, which they also lost, uh, got blown out in. He only he uh, had 33 points, four rebounds, three assists. And then, like I said today, that performance where he goes 13 to 20, um, 14 rebounds, five assists. Like, wow, wow, wow. Uh, this is exactly what you want from a franchise player, MVP candidate. Just delivers at the highest level under pressure. Uh, and, I mean, this is one of the reasons why, I mean, we're, we're having fun with him. Um, but this is one of the reasons why Bontemps um, was willing to say something like this. Because he's watching Kawhi do this and thinking that, you know, anything is possible. Um, I think he was allowed on a limb a little bit there. Um, and by the way, for the record, um, I, I was very sure that he wanted to say that before the podcast started. It didn't just come. Uh, I didn't want to corner him. He he was planning on saying it. Um, Nick, uh, I don't know if Kawhi can keep this up, but if he does, um, I think they can win this series. I think they can win the East. I, I, He's right now probably playing as good is the best in the East. I know Giannis has a higher ceiling, maybe, or has maybe not. I don't know how I want to say it, but Giannis can rise to that level. But right now, he's playing the best basketball. He's probably probably short of Durant playing the best basketball of anybody in the playoffs, and that gives him a shot. I agree with you, but I think what the last week has shown us be is that there are four flawed teams in the East. Especially these last few games. You look at Philly on Sunday. They just couldn't get anything going offensively. Embiid wasn't much of a factor. Uh, Toronto in game three, we saw their flaws. It was like Kawhi and what? Siakam was okay. And then Kyle Lowry disappeared. And the rest of that supporting cast wasn't there. You flip over to the Milwaukee series. And... 
we all know how awesome Giannis is, but it's been my argument all along. It's why I still think the Boston can come back and win this thing is because you trust Giannis, you trust Chris Middleton, and then who? Eric Bledsoe had a nice game, but... No, you don't trust him. I mean, he may you don't play trust well, him. but you don't trust him. Exactly. And so then you look at Boston, and you, you watch him play game one. You're like, yep, this is the team. This is the team that still has a chance to not only get through Milwaukee, but can win the East. And we saw what's happened to them the last couple of games. They just can't get it all right. They can't get it together. So uh, I like Toronto, and Kawhi has been unbelievable. You're right. But this is why my argument all along, even when the Warriors have gone through all their highs and lows this season, when they're playing at their best, forget it. Not just in the West, but in nobody's coming in through the East. And this is my point always to, to our boy Timmy B. You can't go at the Warriors thinking, all right, like we can give them a push when you only are sure in Toronto's case, you know what you're getting from Kawhi. In Milwaukee's case, you know what you're getting from Giannis and Middleton. Uh, in Boston's case, uh, Kyrie had an off night uh, in game two in Milwaukee, but who else on that roster? Night after night, do you know what you're getting from? And then with Philly, th- this has been the issue for, for weeks now. Some nights Jimmy has it going. Some nights Embiid has it going. Some nights, as we saw in the Nets series, it was Simmons. But never together with Tobias Harris, with J.J. Redick, are they all playing at a high level at the same time? Yeah, the Tobias, Warriors' best is just better than everybody else's. Tobias, I mean, so today, I mean, Embiid is in some run right now because not only has he been, you know, banged up with his knee, he woke up sick today, text Brett Brown this morning that he wasn't even sure he could play. Now, think about that. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a huge day for the Sixers. They could get up 3-1 basically take a stranglehold on the series. Brett Brown wakes up. He gets a text message that um, Joel didn't sleep all night and may not be able to play. How's that for good morning? Have, have a good Sunday. And, you know, there's, it's an afternoon game, so you can't even say, well, we've got 12 hours to try to, you know, get fluids in him and have him feel better or whatever, but didn't even have that. But today was a day where they really could have used Tobias Harris to have a big day. And, he just wasn't there. Two of thirteen on three, seven of twenty-three overall. Um, it is frustrating. Um, you know, Chris, you have been working on a Joel Embiid piece, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know how much. Uh, by the way, I don't think I said at the beginning that you're with Five Thirty Eight. I mean, you're all in the family here, but I wanted to properly identify you as from Five Thirty Eight. Um, are you willing to give up what you're working on, or you will you have any hints that you want to say what you're doing with it? Sure, him? no problem. Uh, I I actually went back and um, went back and similar. Some people remember the uh, a piece I did about Kevin Durant last year about how often he loses his shoes during games uh, over the course of a play or a game. And I think I counted 35 instances, but I obviously had to go back and count them all and find them on film. I went back and did something similar. How with did MD. you do that, by the way? So I, I cheated a little bit with that because, you know, I think there's a flurry of Twitter um, users who always tweet like Durant lost a shoe again. And so you can kind of pinpoint when there's like high activity of people tweeting about that. So it kind of gave me, you know, if I saw all 15 tweets on one day or one night, all around the same five minute span about Durant's shoe coming off, I could go back and watch that game. And after I started researching for a while, I got really good at almost being able to pinpoint 
Oh, well, it would probably happen during this quarter. So I would watch every possession from that quarter and then try to pinpoint where it happened and then find it on film and flag it uh, so that we could get it to video people. But I took it a step further with Embiid in a way that I'll probably never do again. And I don't know why I signed off to do it this way anyway. Uh, Lawrence Murray, one of our editors on the ESPN side, texted me one day. And I think I've kind of been deemed the king of these like bizarre stories that I'm willing to research that nobody else would. By the way, I'm really ridiculous. excited about this. I, I have no idea what the story is. Oh, you don't? I don't okay. know. And Nick, I just want to say, I'm excited. He, he is saying that this is more, what he is doing here is apparently more obscure than tracking how many times Kevin Durant lost his shoe. I am very excited for where this, the only thing Andrew told me is that you have a story on Embiid coming. So I'm very excited. Go ahead. This, yeah. one, this one is, so I, I took the last three weeks to watch every single possession of every single Sixers game that Embiid played in. Um, all season, and it was to go back and count how many times he's fallen down this season. Yes, oh my God, uh, he goes down so much. Yes, so I've counted every instance. I talked to Ramona Shelburne, who, who wrote a big feature on him last year, and she she had this great anecdote about him that I won't give away, but you know, kind of uh, led me that along with uh, with Law, uh, who who told me that one of his friends suggested to him that someone should write a story about how often he falls and. So I went back and counted how often he fell um, all season. I have literally a tally of how many times he's done it um, and compared him in some ways to like the other people who fall a lot, obviously Harden and, and people like but, that. But how did you know how often Harden falls? So there was no way to go back and count every game, but basically the, the, the mag editors said, well, is there a way to try to compare and contrast? So what I did, I went back and I picked five other players. So, and I tried to make it people that fall a lot. So Harden, uh, who drives the basket more than anyone. Westbrook, who obviously is probably, you know, a lot of people would consider to be the most aggressive player in the league. Uh, Blake Griffin, who gets hit all the time. Uh, Nurkic, I wrote a story about in the past about how he got hit in the face more than anyone and was drawing more flagrant fouls from opposing players than any other player in the league. And then Ersan Ilyasova, who obviously, you know, takes more charges than anybody and so I went back and watched five games each of, of each of those five okay, guys. So he's like sample sized, yeah. Right, and and you know, and, and basically counted on a per minute basis how often they fall. And um, and so Embiid ranks really well. I won't give everything away, but Embiid ranks really highly among those those guys. And um, you know, just in general, I, and I think obviously it's not just how often Embiid falls, but it's also how much it scares the bejesus out of the fans because of his injury issues and the fact that, you know, in talking to him that he, there, he actually kind of was explaining why he falls. And I think that's almost more interesting than anything, but it, it was really fun to work on. It was kind of a pain in the butt. Um, I'm sure some of the ESPN folks probably won't love me from an expenses standpoint of how hard it is to actually speak to him in a way that doesn't give away the story. And Dave McMenamin and I kind of were spending a lot of time talking about it just because he's, he's hurt so often, especially at the end of the season when I was trying to chase him, that he's, you know, if he's not playing, he doesn't have to speak with the media. Um, and the Philly... Also, it's not one of those things, hey, Joel, we want to talk to you about your community service uh, man <laughs> of the year award. Joel, hey, we want to talk to you about um, your nomination for uh, the KU Hall of Fame. Joel, uh, but this guy over here wants to talk to you about how you fall down all the time. It's not like he's excited. <laughs> not that it's like a sinister topic, but it's not something he's probably excited about talking about. 
I would, I'll, I'll put it this way. I, I, I finally did get away to corner him, and he you know, was smiling during the, the two questions I asked him about it, which I was surprised by because I've, he's been sensitive to this stuff before. Um, you know, he, he said a couple years ago, I'm not made of glass. You don't have to worry about me falling each time. But you know, I literally spent time talking to the fans, uh, and some season ticket holders have been there for you know, 40 years, season ticket holders. And they're like, you know, it, it, there's just an audible gasp. And you go back and watch some of the falls. He had one against the Lakers this year in L.A. where he fell, and the whole crowd just kind of went dead silent on well, the road. Today, today he went crashing into the first row. He slammed the cameraman. Yep. Um, and he went right into the camera. Our ESPN and, camera, too. Yeah. Yeah. And um, when I saw the replay... I, I, this is honestly true. This is just, it's funny. This is coming up. I was sitting in my hotel room alone watching the game. And when I saw the replay of him coming right into the camera, I actually made out an audible gasp, which right. I never do, which I never do. Um, uh, more just because I felt for that cameraman who was about to get run <laughs> over. Um, but there was the one fall this year where he wrenched his back on the fall. Yeah. And, and that's where I'm, you know, um, you know, like you know, Dwayne Wade, uh, you know, was a guy who fell a lot, and you know, he there was you know he would talk about there was an art to it, and sometimes it's it's a way to protect yourself. That said, if you've got a bad back, I'm not sure that you know repeated <laughs> falls are the best. But um, I am interested in that story. I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole, but um, uh, because we were talking about playoff games, but. You know, they just they you know we can talk about inconsistency, but but part of it for the Sixers has been they just and beat hasn't been healthy and and uh, I know he says he's not made out of glass and I know he's sensitive about that stuff, but he's not been healthy and he's not been healthy in the postseason and you know game three he was awesome and when he's awesome they're really hard to beat and when he's not awesome like today they're very beatable and I have no idea. Who's going to show up in Toronto in Game Five? Yeah, I guarantee you, no matter what, whether he's healthy or not, and 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 I think Butler put it really well. Butler um, was the one guy who played really, really well today, and he basically said, you know, Joel was two for seven. As far as I'm concerned, he could go two for twenty, and that would make me happier because at least, you know, he was basically saying at least he gives us a shot of him kind of turning it around and getting hot during a game or something like that. He's our guy. We're going to kind of ride with him regardless of how he's playing. The the last thing you want, if you look at their box score, if you had to take a pick of like who had the most shots and who had the least, so Embiid took the least of their starters and Harris took the most. And you know Harris, to his credit, I think his shots were good shots. I think he just had a rough day. Uh, you know, thirteen threes uh, for him is a lot, but these were all open looks that he was getting. I, I know, but you know that's the thing. Like he wants a five year max contract or something like that. Right. I mean, you've got. I mean, by the way, like. Let's say about Tobias Harris. Everybody who he's ever played with, and he's been around the league. He's been in Orlando. He's been in Milwaukee. He's been in Detroit. He's been in L.A. You will not find anyone who says a bad word about Tobias Harris. Everyone loves his work ethic. They love his game. They think he's rock solid in the locker room. And so I always say, well, then how come everybody keeps trading him? <laughs> um, and so, like you know, I, you know, I'm not going to judge it on one game, obviously, but you know, Tobias is. You know he wants to be rewarded. I'm sure, but you know this is the type of moment where you've got to deliver. And Nick, this is one thing that this postseason has really taught me, or not taught me, but really reminded me. When it comes to Jimmy Butler, you know I am definitely worried about his health long term because of his Tibbs years. 
And I am definitely worried about how sometimes he grates on his teammates. But he keeps showing up in these playoffs. He keeps showing tremendous leadership in these playoffs. And frankly, I don't know where the Sixers would be if not for him. Chris was just talking about what he was saying today. And if you saw um, the, uh, the footage from Game 3 where he was mic'd up, um, Friday night where he was mic'd up in that game and how he was encouraging Embiid to shoot and things like this nature. Like he has very valuable. I, I like, how can this is seeing how important he is and how he delivers in the clutch. I don't know how the Sixers can honestly afford to let him walk, but I also don't know if it's the smartest thing to pay him. And therein lies the whole issue with Jimmy. <laughs> because uh, Jimmy, when he wants to play, he rises to the occasion. He is not afraid. I have watched him from the very beginning. He, Jimmy Butler is a lot of different things. He is not afraid of the moment. He's not afraid of taking that shot. He's not afraid of missing the shot, which is crucial because a lot of guys are, especially in the postseason. And he wants uh, Joel to feel that way, too. He's, he's pulling him that way. Right. He's trying to push him in that direction. The, the issue is... And this this is a, a longer conversation, uh, more geared towards uh, free agency. But are you going to give Jimmy Butler a max deal to be the second or third option most of the time, believing that he can stay healthy? And you mentioned it in in the intro uh, to the discussion about Jimmy, and and that's the that's the whole key to me. Guys, it's not just the, the, the issues that he's had with teammates or in Chicago or in Minnesota. It's his body has played so many minutes and he's gone I mean, through his own injuries. Where would the Sixers injuries. be? The Sixers are 2-2 in the second round and have a real shot still winning this series. Where would the Sixers be without him? They may not know. be there, but that's the problem. They may lose with him when he's well, at his Jimmy best. I, I don't. I think he's I, giving him max money. I can see it's the max years that I just think is going to be a problem, and I, and I, I just don't know if Philly can do it. And this series has been has been a reminder of his value. Um, can we talk about the? You, you brought up a, a really interesting point of of not being afraid of the shot, not being afraid of the moment. Where within that conversation does does Ben Simmons fit? Because. I don't think he's afraid, but and I think he's very cognizant of what he can and can't do. But at some point, and it's not a, a novel idea here at all, but the idea that by not shooting jumpers and, and not being willing to take them uh, and defense is not having to worry about you, they, they brought up a stat today during the game that I was like, is that a real stat? He, he was 0 for 2 from the line today, but he's only taken three free throws in the whole series. I mean, that that is just something that just stands out to me when we talk about the future of this team and the idea that Butler will have to be a second or third guy. I mean, Simmons, that if it's not already a huge issue, which I think it's a big one, it's going to be a huge one if by next year, if he's not shooting jumpers or he's not finding a way to be more productive offensively, especially when he can't really stop the guys guarding. It's not to say that anybody can stop Kawhi right now, but it's just like, that's a rough, sort of setup, you know, you're going to be paying Jimmy max money and Simmons is your guy. You're going to have to pay him max money at some point too. And just three free throws through the first four games of the series. Um, 
you got you me know, a point somewhere. You know, I, I said this before, and I'm going to say it now, and I'll, I'll be interested to see what you think of me saying this, Chris. I don't have strong conviction about this. It's just something that I'm wondering about. I wonder if in a league where we see Draymond Green and P.J. Tucker playing center, I wonder if Ben Simmons' future in the league is not at least as a part-time center. And I know that that sounds crazy because you're talking about a guy who plays point guard. But if you're, if you're, if you're not going to be a guy who can space the floor on offense and you've got this incredible size being sort of a point center might be, I mean, you know, not for Hugh, not for the entire game, but small ball center could be a future for him. And I don't know if that would be on a team with Joel Embiid. I, I mean, uh, that, that Brooklyn series, uh, it was really interesting that the game that they didn't have Embiid, you know, that that was kind of, he just ate the ate the Nets lunch that day, you know, because they're able to play at such a different tempo. Obviously, you can't play them at center when Embiid is there, but I mean, something. And I mean, that that's not, I don't think it's a crazy proposition that you just raised. I, I, I just don't know what the timeline is. And we all know, you know, how the, the Fultz thing turned out for different reasons, but um, you know, like, what is the timeline on this guy kind of adding that to his game or trying to? Even Giannis, who obviously has shortcomings from that standpoint as well, he's willing to take that shot. And if you go from January 1 forward, has been like a, you know, almost respectable 32% from there. I think for the first couple of games of the series with five of nine against Boston from three, like he's willing to take the shot. And I feel like if you make one or two of them, the defense at least creeps up and it it gives you different options. I just wonder if you're not even getting to the line and not to say he's a great free throw shooter either but if you're not even getting to the line or if you're afraid to get fouled because you might perform poorly at the line getting back to what Nick was saying about Butler not being afraid that that becomes a big factor and I think it it becomes something that's troublesome in a series where Harris is kind of struggling to find his way or not knocking down his shots or if you're not able to get Reddick involved the way you want to Brian this is just great this is you guys are like describing a Russian nesting doll of problematic players the Sixers have like Jimmy Butler is the most clutch player on that team right now but you don't want to pay him long term Joel right. might be the guy with the brightest future but he has injury problems and then he doesn't really fit with Ben Simmons who might play possibly the same position as Embiid and like maybe that's who you hit your future to it's just it's fantastic yeah the I know 2019 and, Philadelphia 76 and, and you may have to make and you may have to pay him 400 million dollars to keep him together we didn't even bring up JJ Redick who's also Right, who actually fits with everybody, but is played thirteen seasons. I don't know how long you want to sign him for either. Um, I'm, I am just pleased though that we have two, 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 two series, and I have no idea who's going to win them. And um, I think going forward here for Toronto, uh, Siakam was terrible today. Uh, play, he played through the calf injury, which he gets credit for, but um, Siakam's their second most important player. Um, he's he's unbelievable. Uh, uh, um, that was a Bontemps impression. Uh, by the way, uh, Andrew Hahn's impression of you is better than your impression of Bontemps. Hey, it needs um, work, but people knew where I was going. <laughs> um, but, you know, long term here, Siakam and uh, Marcus Saul had a, had a good a quality game today. They really needed it from him. Uh, it may have helped him that maybe Embiid wasn't on his game, but he does get some credit for holding Embiid down. Um, but they're going to need Siakam. I, I don't know. I don't know how bad this injury is. If this is going to get better, it's a, it's a bruise, I believe. It's not a strain. Um, so I don't know if that's something that gets better faster. I don't know. Um, I just don't know what's going to happen. And then obviously out west, um, 
I'm worried about Jokic, but he, he, they keep impressing me. And, you know, Dame hasn't had an explosive game yet. I feel like that's coming. So I'm excited about these. Please leave a message after the tone. Oh, boy, Andrew, it's that time of year. All of these series are tightening up. Pressure's on. Everyone's worried about losing, getting knocked out, losing free agents, getting fired, getting traded. All kinds of pressure uh, with each one of these games at this point. Every one of them matters a lot. Uh, it's where all the hard work pays off and we see who's tough enough to win that championship. It's where the players are more driven to go further, faster, and longer. You know where I'm going with this. That's what drives Goodyear to make tires that do the exact same thing. Goodyear knows that performance is everything, whether it's on the road or where, Andrew. You've been listening to this podcast or on the court. So when it comes to choosing tires, let Goodyear.com help you choose what's best. And sometimes you need a tire under duress. Sometimes you need a tire not under duress. Sometimes you need a high-performance tire. Sometimes you need a high-durability tire. Whatever you need, you can find out all that information at Goodyear.com because Goodyear, as you know, is more driven. They're also from Akron, Ohio. I know you didn't know that. I heard that. Real quick, I want to look forward to Monday night's doubleheader. Um, we've got Boston in the same position. Uh, I think that, uh, the, the Philly, I'm sorry, that Toronto and Denver were in on Sunday. Uh, Boston goes down three, one going onto the road against the team with the best record, uh, in the East. I think it's, I don't, I, I wouldn't bet on them winning three in a row. So must win game for Boston. Uh, Marcus smart, AKA Marcus smart, uh, up, you know, just to show you how important this is, upgraded to questionable. Um, he suffered the injury, I think, the first week of April, like maybe April 7th or 8th. Um, projected four to six weeks. This is three weeks. He's trying to come back from this uh, abdominal, is that abdominal injury, right? Or, or wow. side, side injury. Um, that just shows you how, you know, he's been upgraded to questionable which I think means he's going to play. Um, and he's a really important defensive piece, especially against Chris Middleton. Um, but that just shows you how important they think this game is. And I know that Kyrie is preaching everything's going to be A-OK, but I don't think everyone's going to be anything's going to be, everything's going to be A-OK unless they win this game, Chris. I mean, it's hard to see how it is. And I, it, I don't know if there's anybody really that I would feel confident in or at least even close to 50-50 in if they fell down 3-1, maybe, you know, I think we're kind of built to feel like the Warriors deserve the benefit of the doubt, the doubt, no matter what situation they're in. But other than that, that's exactly why I was watching the games as closely as I was today. The the fear of a team going down 3-1 and just kind of feeling like that's it, if that happens. Um, so, yeah, it's huge for them. And, and in particular, the thing that um, I find interesting is that Milwaukee kind of uh, switched what they do defensively, my, my biggest question for them going into their series all along was this is a top-ranked defense in the league, but they play a drop scheme where, you know, they don't really play Brooke Lopez up at all on pick-and-rolls. They play him closer to the rim, which gives them success against all sorts of teams. Um, but Boston's a team that, you know, can make you pay for that because all their guys can shoot from the perimeter, Horford especially. And so they got absolutely killed in game one that way. And so then they decided to use kind of a switching scheme, uh, which they have the personnel to do, but didn't do at all during the regular season and had success with it. And the idea that Boston 
statistically, at least with the, the second spectrum stuff we use at ESPN, uh, Boston was the least successful team in the league um, when opponents switch pick and rolls against them. And so whether that's something that's that, because I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, that's because Boston is susceptible to falling into isolation offense. Oh, absolutely. And switching forces isolation ball and they don't sort of have the crutch to go on to, to, to pass their way through it or dri- even dribble their way. Through oh, absolutely. Case. And I mean, we, we are even without switches, you know, Kyrie loves to do that. And I, I think he's, you know, and Tatum. Like, um, but Tatum gets into it and it's, you know, there are times where it works for him and it, it pays off, but there are a lot of times where it doesn't. And, and the same is true of a, a handful of the other players uh, off their bench as well with, with Rozier occasionally. So I, I, I just, think that if if they do fall behind 3-1 I, I liked Milwaukee going into the series before anyway I like Milwaukee to come out of the east quite frankly and so if they fall behind 3-1 um, and they lose three consecutive games to Milwaukee it obviously would show that Milwaukee had really found something that they that was working for them and it would just be hard to see Boston turning it around they, they could do it obviously um, but the likelihood of it happening it's 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 their season obviously tomorrow if they don't win Nick Bontemps thinks it doesn't matter who wins this series. Toronto's pounded him 4-0 in the next round. Wow. Yeah, well, my man Timmy B. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Needs to uh, lay <laughs> off the, oh. the sauce a little bit, I think. <laughs> yeah, but uh, no, huge game huge game in Boston tomorrow. And by the way, like so many times over the years, Sunday afternoon, big game in Boston, um, great players on both sides. Like this is Sunday afternoon playoff games in Boston – is where KG and Paul Pierce rose, you know, to greatness. It's where Larry Bird rose to greatness. Um, it's where LeBron, in a lot of cases, rose to greatness, um, delivering on Sunday in Boston in in May. Like this is it. This is this is this is a this is a moment game, and it could be a Giannis game. You know, this is you know LeBron. You know, a couple of the biggest moments LeBron had in his career before he got to the finals were in moments like this in Boston. And this could be Giannis. Giannis has a 43-point game, and they go 3-1. This could be a moment. Kyrie has a 42-point game, holds uh, serve, sends it back out there, uh, 2-2. And, and guys, uh, and, and, right, and it speaks to what you all both have been saying. If if Milwaukee I, wants to I just to said take, Sunday, but it's actually a Monday night it's game. It's a Monday I, night game. Right. Which but just the, shows you how messed up I am. But there's still big games in Boston, even if it's on a Monday. It's a big game in Boston when the Celtics need to have it. But it speaks to what you all were saying. If Milwaukee wants to take the next step, if they want people like me to think that they have turned some corner in their development, well, then Giannis can go drop 45 and win that game and then close them out in Milwaukee in game five. Andrew, were you just going to let me keep going on about Sunday afternoon? Um, <laughs> yes. Okay, thank you. <laughs> we're all horrible people for that. God. I was wondering if, if you were going well, to connect to what happens today. Travel, or, travel makes you forget about what day of the week it is. Absolutely. Um, but it was also just stupid, so I apologize. Please leave all of that in. Please leave a message after the tone. I caught my breath a little bit today when I realized how fast Mother's Day is coming up. I've got to take care of my wife and mom. And you know that when you're running out of time, you start feeling the pressure. So this Mother's Day, what you've got to do is go to 1-800-Flowers.com because you won't have to settle for anything less than the biggest and brightest bouquets. They've got amazing offers on fantastic Mother's Day bouquets and arrangements starting at $29.99. 
which is really low, uh, especially as we get closer to it. Um, they've got a great selection, not just of flowers, but also of sweets and treats and everything you need for Mother's Day. She'll never know that you did it at the last minute, which at this point is pretty much where we're all at. Um, they have just terrific offers and make sure you can make sure you lock it in. Uh, there's only uh, limited supplies and lots of people are going to have this realization in the next few days. This is your opportunity to get these fantastic deal. Again, just $29.99 for these terrific bouquets. Uh, 1-800-Flowers.com will make your mom feel loved. And that is where you need to go to get everything taken care of. So to order those beautiful, vibrant Mother's Day bouquets, starting at what? $29.99. Go to 1-800-Flowers.com and put in the code HOOP. That's H-O-O-P. Order today and say 1-800-Flowers.com. Code HOOP. Uh, why do you get flowers for your wife if it's Mother's Day? Well, my my wife is also a mother. Right, but shouldn't so. that be the job of your child? It's a fantastic point. What if your child's 18 months old? By the way, like every time I do get my wife any sort of flowers, I do sign them from my son. But I think she may be on the, I think she may have idea where it came from. Okay, in the series that Nick and I are at and going to Game 4 here in Houston tomorrow night, um, uh, this Game 3, uh, James Harden scored 41. Um, uh, Eric Gordon had a tremendous game. He scored 30 points. Steph Curry played one of the worst games you'll, e- you'll ever see him play. Uh, I have no idea what happened in overtime where he, where he blew a wide-open layup and a wide-open dunk. And the, the dunk was so wide-open there wasn't even anybody else in the lane when he dunked it, I'm pretty sure. And if you really want to have fun, go look for the clip and look at the Rockets bench, what he happened right in front of the Rockets <laughs> bench. Um, my point is that Curry was awful. Uh, Clay was not very good. Neither Clay or Curry scored in overtime. Steph didn't score in the fourth quarter or overtime. Um, and yet it took overtime to beat them. Because Durant had 45, and Iguodala and Draymond are playing great. Draymond had a triple-double. Um, it's, it's like one of those things where it was an encouraging moment for Houston, but I don't know if it was encouraging or, or sobering that all of that stuff went their way. And, by the way, for all of the people, especially in the Rockets' front office, who think that they never get a call against Golden State, that Golden State gets every call – um, the calls went Houston's way, especially late in the game uh, in a vital moment where Harden runs over Draymond Green. And it was totally shoot. set, by the way. Clear. It was a two-point game at that point, wasn't it, Nick? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, Nick, I mean, uh, I didn't sense a lick of worry about from, uh, coming off of the Warriors, even though – you know, they have to respect the opponent and to respect the difficulty to win here in Houston. But I didn't pick up, other than the fact that Steph is struggling, I didn't pick up any concern. I think they were like, boy, we played like dogs and we almost still won the game. Not one iota, B. Not one iota. If the Warriors come out and get something from Steph and a little more from Clay and play some better defense, this game on Monday is a wrap and this series is a wrap. They just feel like they're... They're that much more focused than they've been all year. 
And in those first two games, they were right. So the respect is there. You mentioned how they feel about Houston. I think that's crucial in any conversation about this series because that's been the Warriors' problem all season. How important is the game in the middle of January in the regular season against anybody? Uh, but the Rockets had their attention from the, the start, and I, I it would just stun me if if Golden State came out and didn't have that intensity that they've all been talking about for several weeks now. In so many ways, I think that Clippers series actually helped this Warriors squad because it was a realization that, hey, you know what? We can get beat in this moment if we're not careful by a more talented team. They respect the hell out of the Clippers now, and they knew that Houston had the talent to get them, and I just don't believe that the Rockets are going to be able to to overcome where the Warriors are at. Chris, I, I think that's a little bit worrisome how heavily they are relying on their starters because they elected to put Iguodala in the starting lineup in this series, and it is working. Um, they're just Their bench is very thin and not playing very well, and they're really playing a lot of minutes. Um, but I think Steve Kerr has made a clear look. Uh, we think this is pretty much the pretty much the Western Conference Finals here. I mean, he'd never say that, but he's basically like, this is going to be a rough series and the bench isn't going to play much. So I'm a little bit worried about that if the series extends, but the same thing goes for the Rockets. They're playing Chris Paul a lot of minutes too. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, I, you, you brought up a point before that I think is relevant, that they, looking at even the box score, just kind of how they played, I don't think you can be terribly concerned by having lost that game. It's a game that if they had been playing in Oakland, they would have won probably. We talked about the calls, you know, going the other way, um, even for Houston feeling like maybe they've been hosed in, in some of those games before, that they clearly got the benefit on some of those calls down the stretch. Really, the only thing I wonder that, that might feel as if, you know, you'd like to see the tide turn a little bit. Um, if the stuff with Steph and him being off the last few games – the fact that it's coincided with Durant taking over so much on offense, that's the only thing I'm kind of interested in. I, I mean, I don't think it would necessarily uh, preclude them winning the series at all. I mean, I think even if that were the case, they were that close to winning game three. And if they did that, we all know they would have won the series or that they'd win the series going away. But I, I am interested in that just because we haven't seen Durant take over to this extent. Um, we, we've seen Curry have rough patches before. But, you know, Durant's just kind of been on a different level since that whole thing with, in the Clippers series. And it, it does seem like Steph has really struggled. And whether that's just kind of random or if it's because of the fact that um, them coexisting and really thriving at a high level is something that's been a little bit more rare. Nick, Nick may kind of have a, a, an idea of that, too. Yeah, but the funny thing was, you know, Van Gundy made a point of this during the broadcast on Saturday night. Um, there was, I think it was an overtime where he was like, boy, Durant hasn't touched the ball in a few possessions. It was almost like, you know, but in those two possessions, Steph blew a wide open layup and Clay blew a wide open 15 footer. So, you know, the funny thing is, it's like um, even, you know, even when they go away from Durant, it's it seems like they're getting criticized right now. And when they are away from Durant, they're still generating great offense. They're just missing shots. Yeah. Clay, Clay and Steph are in the middle of the four, the last four games. They have shot the three-pointer the worst of any four-game stretch in their playoff career. They yeah. shot less than 33% in these, in these four games. They only made four three-pointers combined in game three, and that was an overtime game. So, Nick, 
um, this very easily could be a situation where where Curry and Thompson explode out of slumps, and you know, and I mean, no guarantee, obviously. I mean, Curry is just looks like he's in a fog right now because he's also last three games, all three games of this series has had five fouls. Some, some of the fouls have been ridiculous, and the officials have let him get away with fouls too. Um, and he's made some just bad decisions on defense. He's just in a fog right now, but he could easily explode right out of that starting tomorrow night or tonight, I guess, if you're listening on the Monday. And keeping this in mind, B, he dislocated that finger in the first quarter of game two. And I do think it's bothering him more than he's leading on and, and more than Steve Kerr wants to discuss. But uh, as far as predict- predictions go, I think Steph is going to kick ass in game four. I think he is really, really going to to shoot it well because this is a proud guy and and he knows that everybody is is getting at him a little more than he's used to because we're so used to Steph Curry knocking down shots from all over the place and not having to worry about whether Steph Curry is going to have his his 28 30 points a game and knock down threes and now all of a sudden in this series and really in this postseason, Steph just hasn't played at that same level. So I think he's going to hear all that stuff and and he'll come out in a in a much better frame of mind going into to game four than he did in game three. Well, one thing the Rockets need, they need maybe a little bit more production out of Chris Paul offensively. Only took nine shots, I think, in game one. Only took eight shots in game three. Um, the Warriors have Clay Thompson on him, and he's really struggling getting into into space with Clay Thompson on him. And uh, I just feel like they're going to, you know, I, I, you know, Eric Gordon was awesome, and Clint Capella bounced back nicely after a couple of bad games. But I just feel like they're going to need some big shots from Chris Paul um, to have a chance to win Game Four. All right, thank you very much, Chris, for joining us for the first time. We'll be we're glad to have you, and I'm. Excited to read this Embiid story that'll be coming soon on five thirty eight. Hey B, Just, wait before we, yeah. we we get out of here. I I have to add this. I feel compelled. I can't wait to read Chris's story because Chris is a fantastic writer and and the topic intrigues me. But one of the reasons it is so close to my heart is that my nickname on the JV basketball team at Lake Highland in Orlando, Florida, was Baby Falls a lot. You will story. appreciate it because I. For as much credit as I would love to take for my writing, uh, and I appreciate the kind words you said about my writing, um, the the mag editors, uh, Ross and Ty, that you, I know you guys have worked with before, they are so unbelievable at like coming up with euphemisms. When you write you know, 2,500, 30, or 3,000 words on someone falling down, you have to have a lot of euphemisms and a lot of you know fun word choice to be able to say falls down differently each time you say it and so we have something pretty similar to what your nickname was in the story uh without it was, saying it, was, exactly it, was, it was like Woj uh during the draft the draft uh, <laughs> yeah coming up with different ways to say guys you're gonna get drafted without using the word we'll get picked by exactly um, exactly all right well i would look forward to that so thank you gents nick i'll see you in the morning and thank you to andrew Hahn. thank you for listening we'll be talking to you later in the week Will this Warrior series I'm at still be going on by Thursday? Hmm. We'll find out. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you later.